You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. If you had been there, I would guess it was probably the most awkward wedding in all of human history. The reality is this, most of us when we get married, at least we enter into some time of bliss. Maybe it only lasts for months, maybe it lasts for years, but in this marriage, there was no bliss. I mean, this was doomed from the very beginning. Everybody thought this wedding and marriage will never last. The woman that was being betrothed to this groom had a reputation and the entire town knew about it. Some of the men in the audience that day knew it firsthand, if you know what I mean. And when the groom began to take his vows for better, for worse, I think people in the audience began to snicker for better. That's just some sort of naive think. For worse, can it get any worse than what it already is? But the groom understood clearly what he was getting into. He understood the sleepless nights. He understood the difficulty of explaining the situation to his children. He knew what it would be like to cry himself to sleep, wondering where his wife was, what arms of another man was she in. But he chose to marry her anyway. And the question is why? Here's why. Because the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom for forsaking the Lord. So he went out and he took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaine. This is the wedding of Jose and Gomer. Now, Gomer, just so we're clear here, is not the daughter of Mr. Pyle, if you know what I mean. In fact, she's the daughter of Deblaine. And whenever I read the word Deblaine, I want to say Deblaine, Deblaine, but you got to be over 50 and have watched Fantasy Island to really get that. (laughs) But here's what God is doing. He's trying to show us this picture, this snapshot of what his love is like for a wandering people. Isn't it true that you and I, much like the children of Israel, have sort of forsaken God and headed in our own direction? But I want to remind you today that God still loves you. And the question that has to be going through the mind of Hosea is this, God, why would you force me to marry such a loose woman? The scripture is going to tell us why, because I want to show an example of the whoredom of the nation of Israel and how they have slept with other gods. God had sent the prophet by the name of Hosea and he had warned them that they were wandering away from God, but they didn't listen. So finally what God wants to do is he wants to give to the people a picture, a snapshot. He wants them to look into the mirror, if you will, and he wants them to recognize that they've lived in an adulterous lifestyle. That somehow into their beds they have allowed the false gods of this world, the God of Baal, the God of money, the God of prestige, the God of power, to somehow be lord over them and they've given themselves to this. And they've said, in effect, to God, listen, you can come and sleep here too. You can come and have the leftovers of my life. It's almost as if God is saying, listen, what I want to do is I want to raise up before you this model, this photograph, if you will, and I want you to see yourself. 
But even more than that, I want you to see me. Because in spite of your waywardness, in spite of your failures, in spite of the fact that you have chased after other gods in this world, I want you to know I still love you. I've still betrothed myself to you. I still want to chase you and woo you, and I want you to be my children, and I want you to come back to me. When you think about it for a moment, isn't that an amazing God? That somehow to a people that have seen him to be less than, that have made him sort of second choice in their life, that have slept with the other gods of this world, he still loves you. Now carry it with me for a moment into the New Testament. Where else do we see this? Well, probably the best place we see it is in John chapter 3, verse 16. When John, the gospel writer, says, listen, for God so loved the world that he actually gave his only begotten son. This is probably the most familiar verse in all of Scripture. People have used this to woo people into a relationship with Jesus Christ throughout centuries. Probably more people have come to know Christ through this verse than any other verse in all of Scripture. Martin Luther actually called it the gospel in a nutshell. He called it a love letter of God penned in the very own blood of his son. And here's what I would say, this verse, John chapter 3, verse 16, is probably the verse that the evil one wants cut out of the Bible more than any other. This is the verse that actually makes all of hell tremble. I remember making my way to the hospital one day. There was a woman from here who was actually in the ICU. She was getting better. I prayed with her, read her some scripture. And then eventually a doctor pulled me aside and he said, you're a pastor, I see. There's a woman over here in this bed. Nobody's visitor, and I want you to know she's about to die. He took her hand and put her hand in mine, and he says, you have two minutes. That's it. 120 seconds. What would you say to a person who is dying if you just had 120 seconds? Inspired by the Spirit of God, here's what I did. I decided to quote John chapter 3, verse 16, and I led her in the sinner's prayer. And when it was over, she squeezed my hand as if to say, I know the Savior. And I'm convinced she headed into eternity in the arms of Jesus. The Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 says, listen, God loves you, not because of anything you've done, just simply because of his character and his nature. In Jeremiah chapter 33, it says that God has loved you with an everlasting love. Lydia talked about it last week. People go to hell because they don't know Christ as their Savior, but I want you to know they don't go to hell because they're not loved. The Scripture reminds us that God so loved the world. In fact, it's fascinating to me that the word world in the Gospel of John is actually used 77 times. It doesn't refer to the cosmos. It actually refers to people. You and I struggle, don't we, to love all of our relatives. But God, for some reason, has the ability, the essence and the character inside of him to love every single person in this world. He loves the Jews and he loves the Gentiles. He loves Israelis and he loves Arabs. He loves people from Africa and he loves people from the United States of America. 
He loves the Chinese and he loves the Russians. The reality is God loves the Democrat and he loves the Republican. He loves conservatives and he loves liberals. He loves people that believe in capitalism and people that believe in communism. He loves them all. In fact, the child song used to tell us this, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. He loves everybody. He loves all social groups. He loves all economic groups. He loves all people. Now, here's what I'd like you to do with me for a moment. I want you to hear this verse afresh. You know, most of us know this verse by heart. But I want you to see this verse with newness. Listen to these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, growing up as a child, whenever I'd hear that verse, I'd think to myself, yeah, that's true. God loves the whole wide world, but I'm not so sure that God loves me. I mean, the reality is I'd often feel a little bit like Gomer, don't you, is that somehow I've wandered away from God. Somehow I've done some things that have displeased God, so I'm not so sure that God loves me. I recognize he loves the entire world, but does he really love me? Today, here's what I'd like you to do. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you are the one that God loves. Go ahead and do it. Now turn to the person on your other side, the person you didn't choose, and say, I guess God loves you too. Because <laughs> here's what I want you to see today, and I'm convinced of this. Here's what I want you to sort of see as my overarching theme today. If you don't believe that God loves you, you're thinking about the wrong kind of love. People, if you do not believe to the very core of your being that God loves you, you are thinking of the wrong kind of love. Now, there's probably many kinds of love, but I want to deal with two kinds of love today. The first kind of love I want to deal with is this, a love that loves because the object is valuable. That's most of us in the kind of love that we have. We say, in effect, listen, I love this because this object has value and worth to me. We love our countertops. We love our baseball card collection. We love our new shoes. We love our outfit because everybody says we look so fly in it. We love things because they have value and worth of their own. The problem is when I stand before God, sometimes in all honesty, I don't feel value or worth to you. Sometimes I think to myself, I don't live up to my own standards, let alone to the standards of God. So if God only loves things that have value and worth, in all honesty, I'm not so sure that God loves me. But here's the reality. That's not the kind of love that God has for you. The second kind of love, and I want you to see this, this is the love that God has for you, is a love that loves and gives value to the object. In other words, it doesn't love because the value had worth, or the object had worth and value. It actually gives value and worth to the object in its love. Now, in order to understand this, I need you to play along with me for a moment. I need all of you to play along with me for a moment. I want you to think back to your childhood. Did all of you here have a cuddle toy? Any of you have a cuddle toy? Maybe it was a dog. Unlikely it was a cat. Maybe it was a teddy bear. Maybe it's a monkey, maybe it's a rabbit. Maybe for some of you, your cuddle toy was a blankie. 
We all had one, didn't we? Most of us gave a name to our cuddle toy. Most of us had a cuddle toy that was flawed in some way. Maybe it was ripped or torn. And most of us had a cuddle toy that was stanky. Do you know what I mean by stanky? You carried it with you so much that the thing was actually stanky, wasn't it? I had a cuddle toy. I won him at the Ottawa County Fair in Holland, Michigan. And I remember when I had won that game, I looked at all of the animals and I knew exactly what I was getting because my entire life, I wanted to own a chimpanzee, a monkey. I wanted my very own. I'd ask my parents every year, can I have a monkey? Can I have a chimpanzee? They'd say, absolutely not. Do you know what those things are like? We can't have a chimpanzee in the house. So every time it was my birthday, you know, you blow out the candles and you make a wish. I would always wish for the same thing. In fact, I did it so much that eventually my older brothers and my sisters would often tease me. They would often blurt it out. And you know, if somebody found out what you wish for, then it doesn't come true. So they'd always say, I know what you wish for. You wish for a monkey. <laughs> and then it would often not come true. So I decided that day, I'm going to get me a monkey. And I gave it a name. Guess the name I gave it? Curious George. Now, partly because of the television show, partly because my dad's name was George But I had this monkey, and I want you to know I love this monkey. This monkey, though, was nothing special. It wasn't like it was a collector's item. It certainly wasn't like this was incredibly valuable. You know, some of those animals can actually have a string in the back, and you pull it, it says, I love you. My monkey had no frills to him whatsoever. He actually had a banana that was baked into his arm that you could force into his mouth. That was about it. My monkey was so worn that eventually I would say you couldn't even get a quarter for it at a garage sale. I so badly wish, and I was with my mom a couple of weeks ago, and I asked her if we still have this, threw it, a year, threw it away years ago. But I would have loved to have stood up and show you because all the fur was sort of rubbed off. That's how much I had loved this monkey. Eventually it had a black nose, but now it was wide, and I took sort of a dry marker, and I drew some black on it. One of the eyes had fallen off, and my mom had sewed it back on, so they're a little bit cattywampus. But here's what I remember most about this monkey, is this monkey was deeply loved. Eventually, because of the teasing of my brothers and sisters, I actually, probably 17, 18 years of age, no, maybe not that old, I decided to throw this monkey away. It bothered me so much that I got up in the middle of the night, made my way to the garbage can in the garage, pulled it out, and actually slept with it again. But when I'd look at this monkey, I'd recognize that this monkey, though it wasn't very good on the outside, was deeply loved by me. My sister would often say to me, get rid of that monkey. That monkey is no good. That monkey is like a rag doll. And I would say, in effect, listen, it may be a rag doll, but it's my rag doll. People, can I remind you that you are loved in the same fashion by the God of the universe? You may be a rag doll. That on the outside you have warts and failings and shortcomings. On the inside there's all kinds of scars and difficulties and pain in your life. But here's the reality. You may be a ragdoll, but you are his ragdoll. The scripture talks about it in Romans chapter 5 when it says this, but God demonstrated his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet a ragdoll, while we were still living in rebellion toward God, while we were still filled with failures and shortcomings, he still loved us. And he died for us. The reality is you are not loved because you have value in and of yourself. 
You are actually loved by a God who saw no value, no worth, but he decided he would give you value and worth by simply loving you. The gospel writer John says it this way, that God is love. Not just that he has love, but the very character and essence of our God is that he is love. And this is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, here's a question I have for you, and it's not a trick question. Who wrote first John? John, right? But not the John that you're thinking of, not John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been beheaded by now. He was actually in heaven. This is John who has a brother by the name of James. Listen, if there were two people in all of Scripture who were not qualified to be disciples, it would have been James and John. These guys were fishermen. These were the kind of guys that were swearing constantly. These were the kind of guys that didn't have a good education. These were the kind of guys you would not say had the raw material to make a follower of Jesus. In fact, James and John had a nickname. What do you think the nickname was? Loving ones? Pretty disciples? No, here's what their nickname was. Sons of Thunder. Listen, if I'm given a nickname, I'd like the nickname Sons of Thunder, wouldn't you? You can kind of picture this guy riding on a Harley, he's got tattoos on him, and he's known as sort of the Son of Thunder, but he's deeply loved by God. And I want you to see this because we don't get a glimpse into what these Sons of Thunders are much like until we come to Luke chapter 9. Jesus makes his way into a town, but the town didn't treat Jesus very well. So here's what James and John say when they, the disciples, James, asked. Here's what they asked him. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven or do you want us to destroy these people? I mean, if these people were not nice to you, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to call down fire from heaven and I'd like to destroy them. These were the kind of guys that didn't just pick a fight, they finished the fight. These were the kind of guys, if they were at a dad at a soccer game, usually they got kicked out by the ref. You know the kind I'm talking about, don't you? They were known as the sons of thunders, but John made a decision he was going to spend more and more time with Jesus, and I don't think it happened overnight. But little by little, his heart began to change, his reputation began to change. Until eventually in the New Testament, three times, what does John call himself? The one that Jesus loved. He's no longer known as one of the sons of thunder. Maybe his dad wasn't good to him and gave him some sort of a name that he didn't like. Maybe his teachers weren't good to him and had sort of this bad reputation and they called him other names. Maybe there were all sorts of nicknames that he was given that he didn't like, but now all of a sudden he gives to himself this nickname, the one that Jesus loves. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but can I just remind you, you are the one that Jesus loves? Can I remind you that this is a God who had a hundred sheep and he left the 99 because he was so in love in search of the one that somehow you and I begin to recognize this God has set his love and affection upon us and he's drawn us to himself that you and I are actually the object of his very love. 
People, listen, from my perspective, that's critical to know, isn't it? It's critical to understand that you and I are one that God deeply loves. And I want you to see this. He didn't love you from a distance. I mean, he could have easily called from heaven, hey, I love you. But he made a decision that what he was going to do is take on human form, and he was going to demonstrate his love as he became a baby, then eventually a man who makes his way to the cross of Calvary to redeem you. Do you remember what the scripture says with regards to Jesus as the angel speaks to the Virgin Mary? When you give birth to the son, I want you to give him a name, and here's what I want his name to be. I want it to be Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sin. He is the one that ultimately has come, this Jesus, to communicate his love to you, to make his way to the cross of Calvary to redeem you. That's just how much he loves you. So people, here's what I want you to hear me say today. The apostle Paul talks about it, and he talks about this kind of love. He says, in effect, listen, I am convinced that in the midst of the love of God, there's nothing that's going to separate you. Not angels, nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers. Neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. The love of God is never object-oriented in terms of of the fact that it has value and worth, and now we love it because of that. The love of God actually gives value and worth to you and to me. And can I remind you this morning, as the song so well says, that Jesus loves me, this I know. And then the question is asked, how do I know that for sure? Here's why, because the Bible tells me so. I brought along with me today a brand new $20 bill. I asked Beth for 100, all she would give me is a 20. I think the illustration would be better if I had 100, but all she would give me was a 20. Brand new, crisp, clean $20 bill. If I were to say to you this morning, how many of you want this $20 bill? You say, listen, inflation is bad, but I think we can go to McDonald's. I can still buy lunch for the two of us. I could probably get a quarter of a tank of gas with us, but it's worth something. I'll take it. If I took this $20 bill and I crinkled it up, put it on the ground, and I sort of stomped on it and got all dirty. And I would say to you, now, who wants this $20 bill? You know what most of you would say? Listen, I wish you hadn't done that, but I'll still take it. Because what stands behind that $20 bill is still the fact that you and I have $20. It has value and worth because the people standing behind it. Isn't it true that most of us throughout the course of life have been wrinkled up? tainted by the sin of the world, dirtied up just a little bit. But the reality is, as we stand before the holiness of God, we still have value, we still have worth, because he gives it to us. And I want to remind you that every single one of you ask this simple question, how do I know that God loves me? How do I know that he loves even me, warts and failings and all? I'd say because of the very character and essence and nature of our God. Because he proved it in the Old Testament, he proved it in the New Testament. And he actually loved you so much that he made his way to the cross. It's one of the reasons as we sing this song together, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. I want to say it again, I want to say it again. And then the question becomes, why? It's because the truth of God's word tells me so.
Today, I trust none of you are going to leave without knowing the tremendous love of God. That no matter what you've been called in the past, the reality is this, you can remind yourself you are deeply loved by God. And maybe in your quiet time this week, as you stand in the presence of God, maybe you could just close your eyes and say, I am the one that God loves. Yes, Jesus loves you. For the Bible tells you so. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast, where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.